us on a virtual view today. I'm joined by Arthur Cooksey, the CEO and founder of Let's Talk Interactive. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us or having me today and super excited to be here today. Yeah, I'm really excited to get going and chat about some stuff. So can we start with you sort of introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about you? Yeah, absolutely. My name's Art Cooksey. I'm the CEO and founder of Let's Talk Interactive. I founded the technology platform as a way to provide consumers with access to quality and licensed behavioral health professionals, which we later evolved into customized services, telehealth technology that LTI is known for today. Before Let's Talk Interactive, I held a few corporate positions. I was over strategy for small business with Bank of America Merchant Services, and I read, led some different national sales platforms and things like that within banking and education. So your experience with telehealth, what does that look like? Did you work with that prior to Let's Talk Interactive, or was that your first time really working with it? It's interesting because in my late 20s, I owned a telephone company. So I purchased a couple of frequencies and I was providing paging signal, which made me a telco. So I had T1s and T3s. So I had high-speed internet in the late 90s. And when I realized there was a gap in mental health care services, because my mom was a, a nationally known person and provided a lot of support within mental health and children and things like that. So I was thinking like, here's this gap, here's this massive provider shortage. And being used to high-speed internet in the 90s, I just thought everyone had it. So I didn't realize everyone else was on AOL and dial-up. So yeah. it, it just, uh, it took about 17 years for infrastructure to catch up with those original thoughts and ideas. But unfortunately, the mental health problem and gap is still there. Yeah, because most people don't realize with the mental health, like the telehealth started with phones and not with the computer, but there's just so many limitations without being able to see the person that you're actually having a, like an appointment with. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Alaska has done a great job because they have such remote areas that they really were the first to dive into telehealth, if you will. We have uh, partners up there who do specifically technology work. And a lot of that's because Alaska has a lot of experience doing a lot with less than what folks down in the continental uh, 48 have. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So then we evolved the company in 2017 into what you see today which does mental health on one SaaS platform and we're in acute care on another. So could you tell me a little bit more about those platforms? Let's Talk Video is really a license-based mental health platform. You know, we're on a video call, right? But that is not telehealth. Telehealth right. is having the ability to schedule, understanding the workflows, understanding the notes and what's the necessity to perform a quality session and making that easy for both the provider and the patient and a good experience that's reliable, safe, and secure, right? So those are really the top things within the Let's Talk video. With Trust Video, that's our enterprise version. So we really evolved the product to acute care, and we can service going from a license to more of an encounter-based solution. So where a healthcare system, let's say, that had 100 providers on the license-based system, would have to choose which or if all the 100 providers were licensed. On the Trust Video, the enterprise solution, we can enable every single provider in the healthcare system, but we can also enable like their med carts and their dermoscopes and their blood pressure and EKG all the way out to telestroke. So if you have a specialist in one region, 
you can now have access to them and to another, or you could have med carts with doctors and nurse access to the room. You know, we can use some AI to identify falls and things like that. So it's really evolving healthcare. I was in Orlando two weekends ago and the speaker talked about what's the one thing you don't want to be in as a patient. And that's being a patient, right? That's the one thing you don't want to be. So to really be treated like a customer as a patient, to feel like you are important and your care is important and the providers have the time, that's what our software is doing is by enabling that. Yeah, I know there's been a lot of discussion around telehealth about focusing more on like the consumer and having like consumer choice healthcare. So that's something that's, that's interesting that that's something they're looking at. It's just a natural progression and technology is really changing the way care is going to be delivered. And quite frankly, the current system doesn't really work so great, does it? So your business has been around since prior to the pandemic, right? Correct. Have you had to change how you've done business since the pandemic has happened and since there's been this huge explosion of telehealth? We have in some ways. Pre-pandemic, telehealth was still kind of considered snake oil. I remember doing a 20 some odd page presentation for a university and it was a couple months before COVID hit. And these were hurricanes, you know, a lot of different ways, telehealth, Alaska, a lot of data I got from Alaska and then COVID hits. And all of a sudden the restrictions are lifted for some of the requirements to provide telehealth. And for the first time ever, telehealth is something real. There was a massive wave of customers that came in for that. And I think you saw a lot of companies come into the healthcare telehealth space. They came in and they didn't think about healthcare. They thought about customer acquisition. And so they didn't take the time to really get all the certifications, credentials, make sure the platforms or the way the healthcare systems need them to be post the lifting of restrictions. And I think that is both created opportunity as a lot of money came into the system to create this innovation. But I think it's also created some platforms that are kind of here today, gone tomorrow, because they today cannot even apply for RFPs and other larger agreements or contracts because they don't qualify with the basic certifications. Right. Yeah. We're seeing a lot of that with folks having to adapt to the end of the PHE that's happening in May here. I am interested to see how a lot of these startup companies and tech companies that have really sprung up during this pandemic when we've had all these lowered restrictions, how they're going to adapt to those renewed sort of safeguards. It's going to be a challenge for us coming from healthcare. We were just laser focused on it. We had to be, our customers demanded it. So SOC audits and things like that are just part of our natural process. It's expensive, it's painful, but it's leading to good processes that can be really inspected. And one of the things I wanted to mention is our partner voice products. They're in the Midwest and they are one of our development partners. So, you know, we've created these amazing partnerships with like Amazon Web Services, Ingram Micro, Liberty Wesco, and the amount of access to not only healthcare systems, data, cloud servers, and then to have a partner like voice products in the Midwest specifically that knows telehealth and really knows the product is amazing. And I think that's one of the innovations that you're seeing within telehealth is rapid deployment of solutions and systems. With Let's Talk, we really looked at how do we build a system because we've been building this thing for 20 years, right? So we have taken on a lot of use cases and we have charged people a lot of money to do customization 
to fit within that use case. Well, over the, that time period, the one thing we did build was a lot of use cases. As we started to build out the next generation platforms, we leveraged that to be able to know what the providers need. So now it's not development, it's configuration. And I think that's one of the things you're going to see really evolve in healthcare is that it's broad. People are used to using it. It's, it's got interoperability, not between states, but between countries. And it's got the integration of wearables. And then you've got everything else that you can tie in for wearables, fall detection. I think it's just going to lead to a lot of a better life for a lot of people. One place is that we're involved in is Kenya, or we're getting involved in Kenya, Africa. 48% of the population there has never even seen a medical doctor, if you can imagine that. Now, what's leading the ability to service people like that in Kenya, about 16 million people, is satellite access. So like they're going live in Africa this summer with Starlink. So that's one platform that's exciting. There's other satellite platforms out there, but that connectivity is really changing what can be done and the resources available to do it. I completely agree. And I do look forward to seeing what increased connectivity and interoperability does for the future of telehealth, because you can have all of these fantastic devices like those aura rings and like the smartwatch I'm wearing right now. But if we're not able to get those connected, then they really serve no purpose. It's just a very expensive, shiny thing that isn't particularly useful. <laughs> yeah, no, really. You, sh you look at it. I look at my data every day, but I also have mm -hmm. an 82 year old mother and I'm an only child. So, you know, she has health things and to be able to remote in and check out health, share bio with doctors, to be able to participate in those doctor sessions with her makes a huge difference. So just outside of personal health, think about family and friends. Yeah. And I think that's an advantage that people don't really think about when we talk about telehealth, because you're able to have greater health literacy among patients, but also among their caregivers and support systems, because it's not just one person going to the doctor and being like, well, okay, the doctor told me this. I don't remember everything. It's being able to see those results as a whole support system. And I think that's a, a vital part of the future of telehealth. Absolutely agree. So to switch gears a little bit, recently there's been a rapid development and increased awareness of artificial intelligence, AI. I was recently at the American Telehealth Association's annual conference, and I saw just so many new AI products there. So any thoughts on that? Absolutely. Well, AI is just starting, right? It's just getting started. And we have integrated AI machine learning into our platform. And through the ambient listening and, you know, with providers 40% of their time taking notes and leading to heavy burnout. And, you know, that's not why someone went to medical school to take notes 40% of their time. And a lot of time it's after their scheduled time and they're trying to figure out what the heck they said in the first place for the 50 people they saw. It's really a challenge. And our AI that we integrated in, in machine learning listens to the ambient conversation, it can start to learn the voices, but it's going to pick up on, if we're talking about art and tech and things like that, it's going to drop that to when I start talking about a heart condition or something like that. And if I'm on a three or 12 lead ECG and that data is being pushed, then that conversation is going to be associated with that data. And that's machine learning, but the AI is smart enough to start to identify what's not relevant to the conversation, what is, the doctor or provider still has the ability to listen, edit, 
But imagine now they've got good notes to start from. They know what to push to the EHR. So Cerner, Epic, whatever. And it's tagging to whatever they did, like an EKG or blood pressure or pulse ox or whatever. It's tagging that specific conversation to that specific test. And it's making it available for the patient customer. You know, holy smokes, that is a new world in healthcare. And if you're looking at a provider shortage area as it is, you start thinking about chat GBT and bots and some of this new innovation. And I'm not saying, hey, you're going to be serviced completely by an AI doctor, but I am saying that an AI bot or machine learning can help drive that patient and to a faster and quicker experience to that licensed professional that can make the final decisions. Right, exactly. I agree that some of the most important things that AI is going to do is take away a lot of that administrative burden from your healthcare professionals, because if they're not spending all of their time taking notes and sending out test results, then they're able to see more patients and help with that provider shortage that you've been mentioning. Absolutely. The administrative function is huge for these doctors, but also accuracy. Mm-hmm. So all of the positives of AI aside, are there any risks or challenges that you see that we're going to have to think about? There are. With every new type of technology, there's some form of risk, right? With AI, I believe the risk is the data. It's what comes in is what's going to come out. And AI is taking from a big hose. So it's taking data in from a lot of places. It's getting smarter and it's learning things, which is amazing. But if that data is not good, especially in the early stages, then the foundation for the AI is going to be off. So I think the training piece of AI in the early stages, like here we've got doctors spending 40% of their time transcribing notes. Well, if we knock that down to 20%, and that's now verifying the notes to make sure. And as they do it a week later, maybe it's 19% and then 18%. And as it gets better and there's more confidence in everything that's coming through, and sometimes it could be an accent, right? Because you're listening to a sound. And that's one of the things voice products does well as, as well as the voice transcriptions, even for like heavy accent, they're really good with the transcriptions there. But I think making sure all that can be tied together is just going to absolutely lead to a better experience. That's really interesting. I wouldn't have thought, maybe that's my own biases showing, but I wouldn't have thought that accents and that sort of thing are, are something that make it more difficult for an AI to pick up. But I suppose that would be entirely true. Until it learns the accents, right? So if you're from, let's say New York, and you show up in Louisiana, you're going to have a very <laughs> different conversation, just like someone from the Midwest versus someone from the Carolinas. So you're going to hear mm-hmm. some tones. A lot of accents are cleaner, but I'll tell you for people down in New Orleans, especially the Cajun kind of French group, That accent, I have to really listen, and I've heard it quite a bit. So just imagine Mm -hmm. a machine trying to figure all that out. That ties back into what you were saying earlier with a weakness being the data sets you train them on. Because if you're only training on people with like a transatlantic accent who don't have any strange verbal tics, then you're going to get a product that really doesn't understand a lot of the customers I'm sure you're trying to reach. Absolutely. You're spot on. So something you mentioned a little bit earlier that I wanted to touch on again about consumer-focused healthcare, do you think that AI and like machine learning, all of this developing technology, do you think that has a role in sort of personalizing healthcare for like consumers going forward? AI has a lot of capabilities and I think used properly, it can be very, very beneficial. But you think about 
for a patient to access a doctor. Right now, there's not enough doctors as it is. So if a patient had the ability to have a chat bot type of session where they can ask questions, they can talk about what's going on, and then that chat bot is intuitive enough through the artificial intelligence to start to create like a, a decision tree, if you will, of what's the next place to go, what are the possible symptoms, from the symptoms, what are the possible ailments, who is the possible person to talk to, what is the risk level, you know, is this something we need someone there immediately? Do we need to bring someone on a telehealth session immediately? Or can we schedule mm -hmm. this? You know, is this maybe a medication incident? And, you know, on airplanes, 80% of the time when there is an incident on, on an airplane, it's due to glucose. So is this something mm -hmm. that's in the past history for the patient that could be simple? Like they're sweating, they're about to pass out. Oh, let's check their glucose levels and get them a glass of orange juice and a candy bar. You know, you bring them back pretty quick. <laughs> I think those are some of the pieces that really are going to be impactful to patients to have like consumer healthcare, not to mention AI for helping you manage your medications, to ask mm -hmm. questions, to have more knowledge for yourself and you can do more research with it. Chat GPT actually is a great way to do research as well. And you can pop in very specific things and you can get a very broad piece of information that now you can go verify piece by piece. So all of that, I believe, will lead to better um, patient outcome. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned chat GPT and that absolutely fascinates me. I spend a long time just messing around with that. But something that I have heard in conjunction with that kind of AI and most AI is the sort of trust but verify kind of thing. Look at it, be like, oh, this is great information, but I, a human person, want to follow up with this and make sure that the conclusions that are being drawn here are accurate with sort of my ability to make conclusions and that kind of thing. So I think there is still the importance there to have sort of a human looking at this in the end. <laughs> so I agree with you. And, and here's an analogy I'd use for that is that would be like, at some point you were able to manage your bank account and your bank books. But at six, if we threw that responsibility to you at that point and said, do this properly, you probably wouldn't get it right, but you would get yeah. there and you would get to the point where you were really good at it and you're very trusted at what you're doing. So we're dealing with a three-year-old. Mm -hmm. Got to give it a little time. You got to spend a little time helping it to learn and it'll get there. That is a really good metaphor. And I'm definitely going to use that in the future when all of my friends and family members ask me about AI because I get asked a lot. <laughs> just just make sure you give licensing credit to Art Cooksey Affiliated. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 2023, uh, yes. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. right. <laughs> so let's talk about the future a little bit. So on like a sort of micro level, what does the future look like for Let's Talk Interactive? Well, the future is bright. You know, if you look at a BMW logo, you see a white wing and you see blue skies. That's what the BMW <laughs> logo is, right? So that's what I see is I see blue skies. I see a lot of opportunity for innovation to serve others. We believe that healthcare is a basic human right. So, oh boy, imagine how great it is to get to do something you truly believe in and you're helping others and you're hopefully making a, this world a better place. And so 
that's part of our future. I think our future is also going to be a leader. We've done a lot of use cases over the years, and that's what separates us from everyone else is because we have been doing it. We've been doing the use cases through the partnerships that we have. We have the ability as the first public sector company on Amazon Web Services global platform to service 249 countries. So to be a small business in North Carolina and have the ability to touch 249 country, to touch billions of lives. And that's what our enterprise version has done is we built a system that literally could take every person on this planet. You know, it's just an exciting time. I see the IOFX, 3D printing. So we are doing some 3D printing and we're doing it really for hardware devices, soft packs, for cradles, for holding things. But as 3D printing evolves and the genomes now mapped, you're going to see the ability to print skin. So imagine burn victims no longer having to graft from this place or the other, but to literally print skin that can be grafted on and it's their DNA, it's going to accept or an organ or something like that. So the 3D printing mixed in with technology and where we're going through innovation, big blue skies ahead. Yeah, that's really exciting. 3D printing is something I hadn't thought of that before, but that does have the potential to change our entire telehealth, not telehealth, but just health in general landscape. Well, think about robotics as well. So mm -hmm. you can have a robot perform a surgery better than a person, especially if that mm -hmm. person hasn't slept well. Maybe they're on some form of medication. Maybe they're just not fit for duty that day. You know, maybe they're stressed about finances, kids, whatever, you know, school, there's lots of things to be stressed about. And a robot that has trained to do this, and they have very simple ones now, and you could even have a specialist supervise that robot remotely and operate the robot for very specialized type of surgeries. Just imagine that. That is such a huge change to 50 someone carrying a bag and showing up at your house. No, and you combine sort of robotics and that sort of thing with, with telehealth. And then you have the the opportunity for like a top surgeon of a very specialized sort of procedure, being able to provide care for people throughout the world. So that kind of thing really excites me. <laughs> it does me too. You know, if I were to relate it to a cartoon, I would call it the Jetsons. I mean, that was a long time ago cartoon, but you think about the doctor came out of the wall, just everything was automated and it was just part of your normal life. You know, if you needed a mm -hmm. pill, it said, open your mouth, it shot the pills into your mouth. I don't know that we'll get there, but. But I do think that integrating healthcare and that kind of thing into just daily life and not making it as something that's like an exception, like, oh, I need to go to the doctor today, but making it as something like my wearable devices are integrated to like the internet of things at my home. And I have sort of AI watching like my levels. And if they're wrong, then I get a contacted from a, a chat bot or something. And then my physician contacts me. So I think just having that be integrated with like more aspects of our daily life is something that's that's really exciting and really has the potential to change the future of healthcare. Well, I'm a diabetic, so I have one mm -hmm. of these things stuck in my arm and right. I could wave my phone by it and it tells me, you know, what my blood sugar levels are. And if my blood sugar level starts to drop, which does occasionally, my alarm on my phone starts to go off. So how great is that? Like you don't mm -hmm. have to wait until you're sweating and about to pass out to know that something's going on that you can be proactive about. And that's just going to lead to better healthcare. And then knowing exercise, knowing how your body's responding to things, and then being able to relate that with a medical doctor or a nurse or a nurse prac, 
that's qualified and trained or even a nutritionist. It's just, you're going to live longer. You better be happy and healthy. Yeah. That compared to just where we were with healthcare a decade ago or two decades ago is just, it makes me very excited, a little nervous, but mostly excited for what healthcare is going to look like in a decade from now. I think it's going to be really different because Mm -hmm. the models that we have are not working. Some parts are right, but healthcare has been so monetized, it seems like, and it's moved away from healthcare and doctors Mm -hmm. are like artists, in my opinion, these people are committed and they have to be very Mm -hmm. committed to do what it takes to serve people in healthcare and with that dedication. So they're very special people and we need to make it as easy for them as possible to be great and let technology Mm -hmm. and other things do what it has to do. And at the end of the day, we're here as a human civilization. So we need to kind of look out for each other and it can't be all about, and I know the corporate side and even my board, but it can't all, always be about dollars. It's got to be about people and care. And I think if you provide that in the right ways, the dollars will be there. No, I totally agree. And I think with the pandemic, we saw the biggest possible stress test that we could see of our entire healthcare system. And some things like telehealth show that this is a technology, this is a method of care that we really should be putting more resources into. But we also saw places where things aren't working. And I think that does give us a huge opportunity and probably a unique opportunity for our lifetimes for where we can make those changes and have reasons why we're making those changes. Absolutely. Well, you'd mentioned ATA earlier and we're a member as well. And we've advocated for like, if this was a tsunami COVID, we don't want this water to retract because the reimbursement pieces and things like that are just going to drive a better healthcare system. We had the greatest stress test of all and what great data we got from it. And we learned a lot of things that are working really well and how we could improve. And then we found some challenges and we even found some holes in the system, if you will. People always seem to find those holes. So, you know, you plug the holes and you really have a proper system that does good and it has measurable inspection points and you bring people together and and make healthcare available. Life just starts to improve. I love the fact that, I don't know if you've gone to a primary care physician recently, but they'll generally give you a mental health evaluation when you come in. And that never happened a decade ago. Mm -hmm. Like healthcare and mental health care were perceived as two different things, but they truly were are one thing. It's healthcare. And so I'm glad to see healthcare really get that and know that your mental health can impact your physical health and vice versa and start to recognize how to treat the whole person. I do think that the COVID pandemic showed that it is very important not just to address physical health, but mental health as well. And we're still dealing with the ramifications of that now. And as the public health emergency ends and we look at these policy sort of rollbacks that we had going back into effect, I do hope that this sort of momentum that we've gathered will continue. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the people we've worked with in the past is Eric Hargan, who was the former deputy director of HHS. And he's been a big advocate to really let people know, make sure that the use cases are there, make sure that the data is there to support making telehealth a part of our system and not saying, hey, we're changing the system to this. We're saying we're creating more accessibility to the system through this. The more people embrace their care, their family's care, the more healthcare systems and providers embrace that patients are customers. And I'd love to give customers a choice for healthcare 
And I don't think that's ever really been the way it's been in the past. People just, whoever's local, that's your choice. Now you've got concierge doctors out there. You've got a lot of different choices. I am excited to see people have choices in healthcare. I think that's going to create competition within the providers. And it's going to ultimately lead to better service at the end of the day. And it's going to be less about billing CPT codes, which is extremely important because you got to get paid. And it's going to be more about what kind of care you're providing and how you're treating that customer who shouldn't be a patient. Better care means healthier people. And I think that's something everyone can agree is a good thing. Absolutely. Can you imagine having good health, good mental health and (laughs) work-life balance if that exists or integration in my case is the closest (laughs) I can get to it. But, you know, just to take that breath and just let it out and just realize that there's a sky out there. There's a lot of things going on beyond this little technology bubble we're in. I know we're talking about telehealth, so it does, you know, but, but (laughs) I think that that can lead to more capacity of time and better health gives you hopefully the desire to go out and go hiking or explore the forest or go fishing or whatever, go boating. I would like to do all of those things. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you chatting with me about the future of telehealth. I am looking forward to seeing where you guys go next, as well as the larger sort of telehealth and healthcare landscape. So thanks so much. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great day and thank your audience out there. Yeah, thanks. listening to a virtual view. You can find more information about today's episode in the show notes below. If you would like to support our podcast, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Do you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss? If so, contact us at info at umtrc.org or through the form found in the show notes. Also, we'd like to give a special thanks to our editor, Tristan Yoder. Finally, a special thanks to the Health Resources and Service Administration, also known as HRSA. Our podcast series, A Virtual View, is sponsored in part by HRSA's Telehealth Resource Center program, which is under HRSA's Office of the Administrator and the Office for the Advancement of Telehealth. The content and conclusions of this podcast are those of the UMTRC and should not be construed as the official policy of or the position of, nor should any endorsements be inferred by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. Thanks for listening and have a great day.